Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I am James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. Influencers promoting vaccine hesitancy use memes to build their online following. We have got that story, plus the Grim Reaper scores a Rothschild. But first, OMG, the CIA have been secretly operating in Ukraine for a decade. Another important piece from Antiwar.com, the CIA helped build 12 secret spy bases in Ukraine along the Russian border as part of the agency's support for Ukrainian intelligence that started in 2014. The New York Times were allowed or perhaps instructed to report this past Sunday. The report described one of the CIA-built spy bases as an underground bunker used by Ukrainian soldiers to track Russian spy satellites and eavesdrop on conversations between Russian commanders. The Times report sheds new light on the CIA's involvement in Ukraine, played a major role in provoking the Russian invasion. A European official told the paper that when Russian President Vladimir Putin was considering invading Ukraine towards the end of 2021, the head of one of Russia's main spy services told him that CIA and MI6 were controlling Ukraine and turning it into a beachhead for operations against Moscow. The report said the CIA's relationship with Ukrainian intelligence could be traced back specifically to February 24th, 2014, right after Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych was ousted in a USA-backed coup. On that day, Valentin Navyavchenko, the head of the Security Service of Ukraine, SBU, called the CIA and asked for help in rebuilding Ukraine's intelligence capabilities. The Washington Post first reported on the CIA's creation of the Fifth Directorate back in October 2023. The Post report said that the CIA had spent tens of millions to transform Ukraine's Soviet foreign services into potent allies against Moscow. The CIA also supported Ukraine's military intelligence, known as the GUR. The GUR provided an opportunity for the U.S. since it was allowed to collect intelligence outside of Ukraine, meaning it could be used inside Russia. A former U.S. intelligence official speaking to the Post described the GUR as our little baby. Ivan Bakanov, who was head of the SBU when Russia invaded, told the Times that without the CIA, quote, there would have been no way for us to resist the Russians or to beat them. A decade ago today, James, I was just playing this classic episode on my Media Monarchy stream. New World Next Week, number 183. Russia puts military on high alert as Crimea protests leave one dead. February 28th, 2014. James, it just keeps kind of dawning on me and washing over me. All that Obama, Biden, McCain, Burisma, Victoria Newland stuff just makes more and more sense each and every day. It, it sure does, doesn't it? It's like a game of connect the dots. And when you connect the dots, you realize that the picture shows us that this entire deep state operation is all part and parcel of the same thing, although it has many different facets, like a diamond. So depends what angle you're looking at it, what, what particular facet you're seeing shining. But in this particular angle, we can see the intelligence uh, agencies and th they have their snoot in the Ukraine funnel. Of course, they have had it for the past decade. And now we get to listen to the New York Times fluoride-addled zombies suddenly going switching the, oh, the script has been flipped. So now instead of calling people who were talking about U.S. intelligence and deep state operations in Ukraine as crazy conspiracy theorists, now, oh, now I know that the propaganda says, of course they're there and they've been there the whole time and that's a good thing and you're an idiot 
for ever believing otherwise, which is how these types of uh, propaganda uh, script flips tend to work. But as I say, this is all part and parcel, and you're right, Burisma and Hunter Biden and uh, the intelligence agencies, and as I just posted up recently with my flashback about foreign intervention in the Ukraine crisis and the NED and Soros and all of these people who had their their own snoots in this um, particular funnel, and oh, let's not forget the corporatocracy, which is par- part and parcel of this, the finance corporate deep state. Um, Just a few days ago, Ukraine Reconstruction Bank eyes near $1 billion in committed capital, according to Ukraine official. And who is organizing this? Oh, that's right. Kiev engaged BlackRock and JP Morgan last year to help set up a fund to raise public capital that could attract private investment for Ukraine's post-war reconstruction, estimated to cost hundreds of billions of dollars. So yeah, they're announcing the billion dollars in committed capital they have at the moment, or at least that they want to tell us about. But yeah, it's going to be hundreds of billions of dollars, guys. And oh, by the way, Larry Fink has talked about using Ukraine as a a wonderful test case and model for constructing this new uh, AI government services of the future digital corporate enslavement grid. And we were just covering recently about Palantir using uh, uh, going into Ukraine, etc., etc. So yes, it, it's a bonanza. This is a deep state bonanza. And here's just another aspect of it that has finally been, as you say, they've, they're allowed to report it now, um, because hey, we can we can show this particular facet of what's going on in the in Ukraine right now. Anyway, all of this just to say, yeah, well, welcome to reality. And anyone who's been a conspiracy realist for the past decade has known that this was going on. But here it is in black and white. And now we can listen to the the propaganda swillers telling us that, of course, this has always been going on and it's a good thing. The post-war reconstruction, man, that's that's always really where a lot of the a lot of the big, big, big bucks. It's almost as though the same people that fund the wars get to fund the reconstruction as well, or rather get paid for the reconstruction as well. I mean, I say this a million times, James, whether it's weed or truth, the same folks that get to lord over this prohibition, no, 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 you can't. They get to finally, once they've held onto it and wrung as much profit and, and meaning and propaganda out of it as they can, they get to flip a switch and then they are the arbiters of the exploitation of that thing that they used to kind of keep prohibited. It just happens again, just again and again and again. And that is how we get going here on New World next week, episode 546. Come on, Soros. Sweet, a Rothschild. Rothschild meets the Grim Reaper claw machine. Lord Jacob Rothschild, dead at 87. Grabbing this main piece from slaynews.com. Lord Jacob Rothschild has died at the age of 87. The powerful globalist billionaire's family announced. The British financier, who was also well-known in the arts and heritage world, was a member of the notorious Rothschild banking family. In 1963, he joined the family biz and started, got in the family bank, the N.M. Rothschild and Sons. He then went on to co-found the then J. Rothschild Assurance Group, JRAG, now called St. James Place, that he started with Sir Mark Weinberg in 1980. Lord Rothschild had four kids, including financier Nat Rothschild. He also founded Windmill Hill Asset Management to manage the family's massive philanthropic portfolio. During his career, he held roles such as deputy chairman of then B Sky B Television and was also chairman of trustees at the National Gallery because, as I've said for, for decades, I think so-called elites, occulting art is one of their, it's one of their main jollies. Right, Mark Lombardi? Yeah. 
Lord Rothschild also had a role as chairman of the National Heritage Memorial Fund in 1992. He also became president of what was then called the Institute of Jewish Affairs, now known as the Institute for Jewish Policy Research. Funny how all those things he's involved in changed their names later. Again, as I talk about that a lot, they got to change out that birdcage liner because, you know, Monsanto and Blackwater, those are, those are dirty words, and so they'll change them. That's why Clear Channel's iHeartMedia now. And it is really all about all these relateds, James. Rothschild owned The Economist newspaper, says Trump poses the biggest danger in the world in 2024, as Jacob Rothschild's death now triggers this big succession-style battle for his billion-dollar real estate and investment empire. Hopefully it's between the, you know his family members to the death. Controversy and legacy. The dichotomy of Jacob Rothschild's humor and philanthropy. A video from 2018 featuring Jacob Rothschild humorously discussing his family's tradition of intermarriage resurfaced following his death. He made the remarks at a Sotheby's event in New York. <laughs> we're, we're all inbred Zionazis. Isn't it such a larf, James? Lord Jacob Rothschild upheld family's legacy to benefit UK, Israel, and Jews worldwide, so reports the Times of Israel. The Oxford-educated aristocrat took great pride in his philanthropy in Israel, in particular their new national library, and described himself as deeply conscious of his Jewish roots. Classic confrontation from 2012, Lord Jacob Rothschild confronted by We Are Change. And we get down to sort of the bottom of the pop culture barrel. No, Jacob Rothschild was not the inspiration for the Simpsons bad guy. Mr. Burns is, of course, John D. Rockefeller and Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. I almost forgot. They're also behind the Balfour Declaration, the apartheid nation of Israel, and at best merely profiteered off most every major conflict the last 100 years. James. This is it. Okay, so uh, here's... Uh, I, I, there's so much to say about this and about the Rothschild family generally, but the way that it's being portrayed in a lot of the reports is, oh, okay, well... Jacob Rothschild was part of kind of the the rogue who went off and and left the family bank and started his own institutions etc and from what we can see from the outside it seems that the Evelyn de Rothschild the recently departed Evelyn de Rothschild and his um wife uh, Lynn Forrester de Rothschild were perhaps the powerhouse of the modern Rothschild banking family at least the public face of that as evidenced by the fact that oh I don't know Lynn and Evelyn spent their honeymoon at the Clinton White House and uh, uh oh, who was it that introduced um Epstein and Dershowitz oh that's right Lynn Forrester de Rothschild and who was the one that was spearheading uh, this inclusive capitalism idea that they were gonna they were gonna get whatever it was a hundred trillion dollars of investable capital or whatever it was in the same room to hey guys we're gonna we're gonna do things differently Bef way before that uh, Carnival Barker Klaus Schwab was talking about this type of stuff it was Lynn Forrester to Rothschild so that seems to me where perhaps the the, the at least the political power of the family is invested at this point but at any rate. The succession struggle, as you say, hopefully a fight to the death, but um, no doubt there is there is maneuvering that's going on right now to pick up the pieces of this legacy, but it will continue forward. Um, and as I say, as I am at pains to say at the death of every one of these credence of the deep state is that whether it's a Rockefeller or a Kissinger or a Rothschild, when they die, don't worry, there's plenty of people that will be happy to jump into their recently vacated seat and probably no exception here. I saw it said on comments earlier, looking around VimTube, someone said, 
at the end of the game, the king and the pawn all go back into the same box. So sort of making the comment on, oh, you know, once you die, it doesn't matter how many toys you had here in this life. But definitely I could see, you know, through my media monarchy community and maybe how we learn about a lot of things. I didn't know that guy died until I saw all those memes that you guys were posting about it. That was actually my mom a couple of weeks ago. I sent her a meme and she was like, oh, I didn't know that Toby Keith had died when you sent me that. I'm winning, hopefully, the meme war, at least with one member of my family. But here, your, your weekly eugenics update does not end there with the death of one of the Rothschilds. We talked last week about France criminalizing your free medical speech. And four years ago this week, James, we said posting anti-vaccine propaganda on social media could become a criminal offense. This was just after the Event 201 drill was flipped live, and now the prophecy hath been fulfilled. Bill Gates' partner, Gavi Vaccine Alliance, targets online memes. Grabbing this from reclaimthenet.org, an international group promoting vaccines with ties to the Gates Foundation is going after memes. Bill Gates, of course, known known and rich for two things. The founder of one of the most oppressive companies ever, Microsoft. And the other is Gates, the, the billionaire, reinventing himself, centered and emanating from the foundation and focusing on, by and large, vaccines and agriculture, which I believe, as we noted last week, should always be a little suspicious when your pharmaceutical chemical corporations are running and owning your food. Two, yeah, two great tastes that taste terrible together. Of those involved, the Gavi Vaccine Alliance that gets their money from Gates now wants to reframe memes. Memes, Internet's succinct expression of humor and satire as health disinformation super spreaders. They're using their own magic words. We've heard this one before, this genre that in the digital age might as well be considered as good as any other artistic formats in previous times, is said to be capable of evading fact checkers and comment content moderators, of course, the censors. In previous eras in authoritarian states, they just ban or burn your book. So what's the solution in the current era and what is the big picture? Is it just Bill Gates going after the free and open internet again, only by other different means? Here's what a blog post on Gavi's site says, quote, Our research shows that memes form part of a highly sophisticated strategy to spread and monetize health disinformation. Whoa there! Who monetized medical disinfo? Because it sure ain't us. We've never monetized any of our work on the platforms you've kicked us off of. When the research is done, including assertions that memes falsely depicted unvaccinated people as unfairly stigmatized, tell that to tennis superstar Novak Djokovic, who almost got his career ruined. Here he is on the cover of the new Sports Illustrated, calling him the greatest tennis player ever. I guess the AI must have gone bonkers and supporting conspiracy sports now. When that research is done, the conclusions say influencers promoting vaccine hesitancy use memes to build their online following, sow distrust of health authorities, and profit from the promotion of unapproved medicines. This enables them to evade responsibility for any negative consequences of their messaging. I assume they're just talking about the immunity that Big Pharma has to not get sued for their products, right? There's even a call to action to basically formally criminalize memes, says Gavi. Memes may not look threatening, but that's why they're such effective super spreaders of health disinformation. 
James, I didn't archive these links. I suppose we should, because I was going to say, we'll, we'll sadly link to all of their crap, which is more than they'd ever do for us. How memes became health and disinformation super spreaders from Gavi.org and the research, you guys, from journals.sagepub.com. Memes save lives, stigma, and the production of anti-vaccination memes during the COVID-19 pandemic. So my question, I was, why the big push? Don't we let the market decide if your ideas, if your products are better? They get to compete in this, this open market space and the best ideas and the best products win out. So why is the UK's Office of National Statistics suddenly changing the excess deaths numbers? Why did a Health Canada official delete a scientist's note saying that these mRNA shots have a high level of impurity? Why does Elon, the hipster gates, act like a tyrant too? X admits they took down Indian farmers' protest posts on Twitter. And this all reminds me, James, of that book Farmer Billy just hid right in, right in plain view, How to Lie with Statistics. James, you fought in the meme wars? <laughs> I took an arrow to the knee. Um, yeah, absolutely. So... It's interesting, isn't it, that the the same people who didn't even know what a meme was a decade ago and, and were pronouncing it meme are the same people who now think that meme is is like an image that you pass around on on the internet. That's what a meme is. No, it's a deeper idea than that. And and people like you and like me who studied uh, media literacy and media philosophy, etc., back in back in the day, know what memes actually are and know that what we are talking about are units of information that pass around almost as if they are things with their own volition. Of course, that's not probably the right way to think about it. But at any rate, they, they represent something that is um, th that corresponds to a deeper truth that people will understand and react to and that will then propagate. The, at least the success, successful ones will then propagate, like genes. Oh, why do we call them beams? Anyway. Um, so anyway, that that is what we're talking about here. And I think, like so many other things, what they are afraid of and what they are cracking down on and what they are trying to ban is probably something that's at least worthy of our time and attention. Oh, hey, there's something here that they don't like. Why is that? What is going on here? So I think, yeah, the meme wars is a real thing. And in fact, the fact that they're cracking down on it so hard presents, into my mind at any rate, a potential opportunity for a future Solutions Watch. In the meantime, though, the question, of course, is how? How are they going to do this? Because, of course, it's not Farmer Billy Gates who's going to be sitting there looking at everything that goes through the Internet. We better stop that. We better stop that. No, how do they actually do this? Nuts and bolts. Well, unfortunately, as a Canadian, I get to see this passing through the newswires. Canada's Liberal government advances online harms censorship bill, which should sound oddly familiar to, say, the Brits in the audience who are also dealing with their own online harms legislation, almost as if this is a coordinated effort that's taking place in country after country all around the world. And in the Canadian context, I'll throw in a link that explains a little bit more about it, Bill C-63, that's currently making its way through Canadian Parliament, which is addressing online hate speech and the various, I think they identify seven types of harmful material from content sexually exploiting or re-victimizing children, sure, okay, to content promoting violence and extremism, hate speech, which, of course, as we know, is any speech that the government hates. That's what hate speech is. So we are stepping right into this. And of course, it is going to be every single country is going to enact their own particular legislation in order to crack down on this. 
and they're just setting the, the overall narrative for the public to accept this. We used to, we, I remember growing up back in the 80s when we were the good guys fighting in the Cold War against those evil Soviets that were censors and oppressive thugs. Censorship, uh, that's a sign of tyranny. But now it's like, well, yes, we need to censor. That's a sign of freedom. <laughs> so the Orwellian doublethink has uh, done its toll, and this is part of that narrative. It's almost like they are implanting the meme in the public consciousness that censorship is censorship is freedom cracking down on free speech is what we need in order to promote free and open dialogue in our society what anyway this is this is where it's going we know how it's going it's uh, only a question of how they actually implement it in each particular country so i hope canadians at the very least are aware of bill c63 it was something our buddy richard grove pointed out many years ago and I try and keep this in my mind, that when they're talking about the bad and the things they need to fix, they're just talking about themselves. They are the medical misinformationists. Yeah. They are the ones yeah. shilling dangerous products. They're the ones that have all immunity to murdering us wholesale. They're the ones who make trillions of dollars on their medical misinformation. And then, oh, look at this guy who made $22 on his platform. You know, it's just, uh -huh. it's, yeah. Exactly. exactly. It's yeah. It is. It is very galling. That's. I try and remember something you've said, James. I don't know if you've said it on camera or just off. We should be proud. We should take it somewhat as a badge of honor that they completely wrecked all of their platforms, all the algorithms, all the all the moves, all the way the pages used to be laid out. They wrecked it all to get rid of us. So it must, we must we must be on to something, I guess. And like you're saying, James, I, yeah, I studied memetics in college 25 years ago. I, I have a piece of paper that says, I know about media. And I've got some other books about media viruses on the stack that I can't quite pull off to show you on camera. I guess that is the thing. I've, I've been ready for the, for the media wars and the meme viruses, I guess, I guess for all my life. Make, make, make a movie about that. That is New World Next Week, episode 546. James, I think the 2015 Corbett Archive USBs are coming very soon. I'm not sure if they're actually in our clutches just yet, but they will be up and going pretty soon. We're moving along at a pretty pretty decent clip on the Corbett Report USB archives, and no, definitely there'll be a point when you can have the, we'll have the bigger bundles that people can buy in, in, a, in a larger bit as we're rolling them out one by one. Um, of course, you can find that at newworldnextweek.com. That helps support both of our work. We split it up. Of course, so does signing up as a monthly money giver, as a member of Corbett Report, as a member of Media Monarchy. And remember, I play this audio, this exclusive audio, after my Thursday morning show before this is published anywhere as New World Next Week, episode 546. There it is, James. Excellent. Appreciate it. Looking forward to doing it again in March. Until then, see ya. Thanks, man. Take care.